Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody out there, and welcome to our show. I guarantee this is going to be a good one. So listen up, sit down, and relax. And as I get going here, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. K.J., how are you? I'm doing well, other than building an ark down here in North Carolina. (laughs) You got a lot of rain coming in. Oh, my goodness. It's rained for about nine days straight and been super cold. Like, uh, I know you you don't want me to wish for snow, but if it's going to be 33 degrees and rain for nine days straight, we might as well get a little bit of snow. Yes, sirree. I've been looking at the weather map, you know, every day the news is on for at least a little while, and they just keep showing this cloud of green rain going down to the coast. And my friends down in Texas in the big thicket, they're getting hammered, though. They're getting it's nice, like, too, right? Yeah, it's like zero degrees, snow, ice, The uh, all the wind turbines down there. I guess they get about 25% of the electricity in Texas comes from wind turbines, and they're all frozen up. You know, you wouldn't think of that, but if the ice binds up that fixture where the housing meets the prop, yeah, just jam it up. Yeah. So they're having real problems down there. Would that? Do you think that would break it or just keep it from moving? Uh, you know, it probably just keeps it from moving. Of yeah. course, if the wind starts howling and it can't move, then things start to break. Yeah, well, hopefully that won't happen for them, you know. It's a tough right. nut. It's a tough nut, boy. When we get hit with crazy weather like this, and not that it's crazy. I mean, what are we talking about? Rain? Snow, sleet, and ice. Winter, right? Yeah, it's the, it's the ice, too, really screws things up. And then down there, right, like, it's a war- relatively warm place. I mean, they have four seasons, but winter is mild, usually. Yeah. So a lot of those houses have, you know, that heat pump technology, which when it's zero, like the heat pump, it's not wor- it's not getting you warm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the drawback you of a heat pump. You need to burn some fuel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the drawback. You can have a heat pump, but you got you got to have backup, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, some people that are new to our podcast uh, may be unfamiliar with me and what I do, but I have a series of books that I've written: Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon in paperback and ebook. So I invite you to take advantage of them and do a little catching up. 
as to what it is we do and predominantly talk about on this podcast. Yeah, and I'll also mention, Bill, because we did get a couple of notes on it uh, from new listeners where they're like, where are you guys? You know, and of course, uh, Bill and I do this remotely from one another, not because of COVID, just because we live 600 miles apart from one another (laughs) on uh, Skype. I live down in North Carolina and Bill lives up on Long Island in New York. That's right. I'm a New Yorker, a Yankee. (laughs) Kev, Kev, do you still consider yourself a Yankee? Well, regardless of what I consider myself, (laughs) the people down here consider me a Yankee. (laughs) That is funny. You know what we say down here, Bill? You know why that clay is so red? Why? That's all that Yankee blood. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. Well, you know, it's good to have a couple of yucks, you know. That's all I could say. Oh, yeah, it's all good. It's all now, good. what do you got today? Oh, by the way, peeps, uh, I like to remind folks occasionally that uh, haven't listened to us at all or wonder like what is all this jabbering about and where's the Bigfoot stories well our podcast is basically three sections we do a piece called cryptids in the news and other oddities that Kev usually takes the helm on and in there we could talk about a lot of strangeness shall we say maybe a Bigfoot maybe a flying saucer maybe something else entirely Maybe a Bigfoot driving a flying saucer. <laughs> True. I mean, we've yet Hey, to... why not? <laughs> An open cockpit with his hair flowing in the wind? Yeah, some goggles on. <laughs> I love that. If somebody's <laughs> an artist out there... Yeah, we need a picture t- of that. Yeah, we need somebody to draw that up for us, and we'll put it on uh, fun things. If anybody's got artistic gifts out there... We need a flying saucer, open cockpit, with a Bigfoot and goggles flying it. <laughs> so send that in, and we'll post it. Maybe we'll even send you an autographed book. Could be. I mean, I've been uh, known to do such things before. <laughs> It'll be a trade. Flying saucer Bigfoot for an autographed copy of Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. All right. I think that's a fair trade. I think so. Yeah, so Kev does the other oddities, cryptids and other oddities. I usually get into predominantly a Bigfoot report. And then we wrap the show up with our listener mail sent in by people such as you. So don't be shy. You can contact us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact link, as many do. And send us in what you've seen or run across out in the woods, and we'd be glad to have it. A lot of people, Kev, you notice, are sending us in tips, if you will. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of interesting. You know, there's a lot of people out there uh, becoming our field reporters and uh, sending us in tips and ideas for the show relative predominantly to Bigfoot and strange happenings. And I'm also amazed, Kev, how many people... We have following us in uh, Britannia, shall we say. 
<laughs> yeah, by the way, so so I'm going to talk about two things tonight. Okay. And the second thing I'm going to talk about in cryptids and the news and other oddities actually is a tip that came in from our listeners. Excellent, man. So, so. why don't you have at it? What do we got All right. here? So the first thing I'm going to talk about is I don't know if you saw it in the news, Bill, this week, going back about seven days now, that uh, some tourists went out to see the uh, Dyatlov Pass site mm-hmm. in Russia, right, where all the people disappeared. The nine people disappeared back in 1959 in the famous Dyatlov Pass incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, some folks went over there, and Newsweek reported it. Uh, actually, they went over there from Moscow, and they disappeared. They've gone missing. What? Yeah, you didn't see this in the news. I didn't see it. Oh, yeah. How many, so, pe- how many people? Eight hikers from the Moscow area uh, went down there to kind of, uh, uh, you know, pay tribute or say a prayer, whatever it was. And uh, they were supposed to be back about four or five days ago and no sign of them. Now, did they take that long road in hiking like that group did? No details. So this was picked up on a lot of the news media, like Newsweek and uh, the major newspapers, but not any details other than the fact when they contacted uh, Russian authorities, um, uh, you know, who keep track of the hikers and stuff like that, they um, apparently this group, there were two other groups on the mountain there in the Ural Mountains that were registered and and their uh, whereabouts were known. But apparently this third group was not registered. So they went in. There were other groups there. Apparently, you know, of course, it's a big area, but. Yeah. The Ministry of Emergency Situations in Sveslosk. (laughs) <laughs> who told the news outlet is Vestia yeah. that they were in contact with only three registered groups on the mountain. And this was the fourth group that apparently was not registered. They failed to register, the Russian authorities say. But they're sure they left. Well, their friends and relatives said that they went there. Wow, that's really odd. Now, listen, it shows you how little I know. Uh, It's not like I sit around following Dyatlov. I've got a lot of things I'm doing. (laughs) But it must be somewhat of an attraction now, like climbing Mount Everest, that lots of different people are going there seasonally. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't compare it to Everest, where like a ridiculous number of people go there every year. But, But I also think it's probably... I'm guessing now, but it's probably brought on by that story that we covered a few weeks ago in another episode, Bill, where the uh, the researcher, the Russian researcher, um, was watching Frozen, the movie, the Disney movie with his kids, uh-huh. and and you know saw something in the animation of the snow, and then did some more research, some more modeling, and then concluded that an avalanche did indeed. Killed the folks back in 1959. Yeah. So, well, I don't yeah. believe that still, but that's, you know. Yeah, I don't that, believe it that's either. That's my but, choice. Uh, are you saying that the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods podcast had something to do with sparking interest? Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> 
I'm also saying that I'm not going to reach a conclusion about how these people died in 1959 by watching a Disney movie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You I'm know, I'm, la- I'm laughing, but boy, I, I, I hope these people, you know, it's very difficult for eight people to disappear. Oh, yeah. And uh, even if somebody got injured, the rest would come out. Yeah, they are in the middle of nowhere, though. You know, the Ural Mountains in the wintertime in Russia. Jeez. Yeah, so these these other groups, though, Kev, they must be following this arduous track, albeit with more modern gear. One would Uh, think. And hopefully, Bill, they're carrying more gun than they think they're going to need. Yeah, well, you bet your butt, man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that goes without saying, but, you know, the first group, what did they have? All we know they had was a couple of knives or maybe a knife yeah, to cut the tent s- open. And some matches. Yeah, oh, they're really yeah. threatening, right? <laughs> I'll burn you! I mean, you're in Russia. You should have some AKs, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, something. <laughs> some Get banana back, Bigfoot, I'll burn you! Unbelievable. All right, so stay tuned. I checked again before we set off to do this recording tonight, and no sign of these tourists. So hopefully they're okay. All right, we'll see what happens. We'll report on it down the road. No doubt about it. So, Bill, now in our second section, not to be too confusing, of cryptids in the news and other oddities, this tip came in from one of our listeners, and I never saw this before, Bill. I know you read this one from the Hudson's Bay Company, the photograph from Canada taken in 1894, Mm -hmm. which they're saying could be the oldest known photograph of a Bigfoot, and it appears to be a Bigfoot that's dead lying in the snow. Yeah, you know, obviously... Uh, people are going to say staged, CG, blah, blah, blah. It sure as heck looks like an old photo with a big old dead, limp Bigfoot in it. Yeah, laying on the ground, black and white, of course. They think it's uh, glass photography. Again, 1894. So it's not like uh, somebody took this on their cell phone, you know, smartphone. This is like you needed a photographer to come out and take a picture of this thing. Right, they'd have to set up the whole shot and, you know, the whole Megilla. Yeah, the little flashboard, you know, Yep. poof yeah. kind of a thing. I, I mean, uh, what do you think, Kev? To me, that looks like a dead Bigfoot uh, just laying limp on the ground. I never saw this photograph before. I never heard of it before, but it sure looks like a dead Bigfoot laying there. And it almost looks like there's some wire on its uh, hand or something like that, like maybe they were dragging it into the picture oh, or something. Look at the size of that thing. It's huge, yeah. I mean, without butchering it like you would a, a, a big caribou or a moose or something, it, it it took a few guys or at least a few guys to schlep that thing around wherever they shot it. Yeah, and it's a crystal clear photograph, folks. I'll put it up on the website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. It's got some, it's in the snow, so it's in wintertime. I mean, heck, it could be summertime up in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> but wintertime, it's got some snowshoes stuck in the ground vertically next to it uh, to give you a feel for scale. You know, this is a pretty big beast. So, yeah. and, and by the way, the photograph, uh, I pulled it down from our friends at 
ancientorigins.net. So just to give them credit there. Yeah, awesome. And you know what? We get back to some of these stories we've been talking about up there. There had to have been word of mouth, in, even in some limited sort of way, uh, information being passed around up there about these creatures or to be cautious of them or of events that happen believed to be caused by them. I, I, I don't believe, Kev, that just because we didn't have newspapers, the Internet, telephones, etc., that stuff wasn't talked about and passed around regionally. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. So, you know, they got some details here, and I think is super interesting. On the back of the photograph, there's some writing. So, I, you know, just like an old photograph, you know, we might have Bill of the family back in the late 1800s. It's got some writing on the back, you know, like where it is, the year, and when it was taken. So, and then there's a story that goes with the photo. So the story is that in 1894 in Western Canada, so, you know, this is, you know, pretty wild place out there in Western Canada, that some trappers and mountain men encountered a Bigfoot and shot him. And uh, they took a photograph of it, but apparently there's more than there's more than one photo. So the story goes that the the one of the folks that was on the, in this group went and stole the photographs back, stole this photograph back from the Hudson Bay Company, which had more photographs. Ah, oh. yeah, it's pretty oh. cool. A little what? bit of a conspiracy. Yeah, did it say what the relationship? Of the Hudson Bay Company was to these guys? Were they working for them? Or? Yeah, so let's uh, let's look at this. They did, okay. in fact, work for the Hudson's Bay Company. Okay. Uh, but on the back of the picture, let's go there first. So on the back, right on the top, it says 1894, right, the year. And it says Yalakam River around Lillicott, British Columbia. Huh. And then it says Forestry... Hudson Bay Company. Wow, that's interesting. And then on the back, get this, Bill, it's written, it says, they took the picture, and the guy that was in the picture went and stole them back from the forestry records, Hudson Bay Company. I believe his last name was Holiday. Don't know his first name. Never took all pictures, only one, and took pictures of the rest. So he stole one original, this one, stole, repossessed, I guess, uh-huh. and then uh, took photographs of the others. But they don't, you know, no sign of those. Uh, does it say when he took photographs of the others? No, it had to be back in the same era, though, you know. Yeah, but I mean, it's odd. How many people had a camera back then? No, he probably had somebody take them, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. an odd, strange thing. You know, a photograph back at that point in time, man, would have been a value. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, if you had a photograph taken or given one, I, I would think that was a, a little prized possession at the time, you know? Oh, no doubt about it, 1800s. Yeah. Now, he might have went back 30 years later, right? Yeah. And then it would be a little more common to be able to take a picture. Yeah, yeah. It's just very St- odd. But just relative to that that picture, I mean, it looks legit to me. 
I mean, you know, I know people are going to crack, make cracks about it, you know, but to me it looks legit. The surrounding, the the lay of the land, that thing just plopped in there. I, I don't know. You know, uh, I like to think it's legitimate, and uh, these guys got the jump on the creature with a couple of long barrels, you know. No, I, I agree with you. It's a pretty cool story. Of course, I love the old stuff, you know, the old photos, the old stories. But then uh, it's kind of this cover-up or conspiracy is kind of interesting, too, where, you know, Hudson Bay, here it's a company that made most of its money back then off of uh, fur trading. So, you know, if they would have shot this Bigfoot, you'd think there'd be the fur of it, maybe the head of it or stuff like that around somewhere at some point in time. So pretty interesting that that hasn't turned up. Yeah, Kevin, really, you know, we're talking plus or minus. We don't know the date of, like, the Bauman encounter that we just redid. Right. But what was Bauman and his buddy doing? They were yeah. be- beaver trapping. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what were these guys doing? Woodsmen, fur trappers. Fur trapping, yeah. That That region was stout. With people uh, uh, getting pelts uh, at that point in time, uh, I'm not saying there were thousands of them, but there were definitely men in that profession that were making that wilderness their home. Well, it was a good way to make a living back then, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you had the nerve and the willpower to do it, uh, you could turn a good buck. You know. Yeah. And so uh, it's pretty wild, though. Too, you know, it's. Uh, out in a river country in British Columbia, you know, certainly a hotbed for the hairy man today, uh, definitely back then as well. And, um, I, you know, pretty interesting, Bill. I love this story. So any of you Canadians out there or uh, Amer- U.S. folks as well, uh, you know, let us know if you know anything about this story from Hudson Bay Company or any of the folks involved. Yeah, you don't know, Kev. I'm always hopeful, uh, like my fellow that got me the uh, survival training map with the Bigfoot on it. There are people out there who had relatives going back that were involved in this some way, some shape, some form. Oh, no doubt about uh, it. Maybe we'll get lucky and uh, somebody will come out of the woodwork with something real interesting, you know? Yeah, very cool. Wow. And I tell you, I looked at that Bigfoot. And it doesn't look to be the stoutest of beasts. No, no. Uh, it's more lean, definitely big and furry. And, of course, when you're dead, you just kind of collapse, you know? Yeah, and it's laying in the snow, too, so you don't know That's right. how much of its muscle, muscular chest is into the snow, right? Well, listen, even if it's big and wiry, when you've got that type of build and you're built for living outside— Incredible strength, you know what I mean? There's no doubt. Their musculature, uh, the fibers uh, of which their their uh, sinews and tendons uh, are made out of, it's different than a human being. Oh, yeah, and definitely a hairy man, no, no mistake in it. Not a yeah. bear, for Yeah, no, that, that ain't no freaking bear. No. I mean, uh, and that's, you know, obviously we're of the same mind, you and I, looking at this stuff, but... Uh, you know, to me, certain things are obvious and certain things are like, eh. And yep. to me, that looks pretty obvious that it's legit. Yep. But uh, 
to be continued, right? We'll see uh, what else we can come up with. There's always something coming to the surface. No doubt about it. And again, this tip came in from one of our listeners out there, which is fantastic. Yeah, no, great. Keep them coming, folks. Yeah, cool. <clears throat> and as I said earlier, uh, sometimes in my segment, uh, I'm talking about Bigfoot most of the time. And sometimes not. <laughs> and today, my listening friends, is one of those days that we're going to be speaking about something freaky deaky. <laughs> and the following crazy sighting was told to me by a fellow named Harold Williamson a one-time resident of British Columbia, now living in the state of Wisconsin. This is what Harold had to say. It was the time of the year for our annual caribou hunt in 1989, when my hunting partner and I ventured into an area below the Kowitanak Ridge, alongside of the Kuitanak River in British Columbia. We were working the area between the river and Mounts Marpole and Carnarvon, with Hamilton Ridge to our south. It was a crisp morning, and we were seeing some animals starting to move, none of them being to our liking. The distance between us and the herd was too great as well. Having seen this activity, we decided to follow in the direction of the herd in the hope of seeing a more substantial animal at some point in time. We had made our way all the way down to where the warden's cabin was located on the southwest side of Hamilton Ridge and were now at a point where we were sandwiched between Hamilton and Tocher Ridges, respectively. At this point, my partner and I were sitting with our bodies facing in opposing directions. I was combing Hamilton Ridge with my binoculars, and Dennis was combing Kowetnock with his. We had to have been sitting there for over an hour, observing the movements of a number of caribou, when Dennis said to me, I've never seen a timber wolf that big in my entire life. Check this thing out, Harold. On his cue, I turned and began to fix my binoculars on the area in which he was now pointing. At this point, the two of us were now sitting with eyes fixed on what appeared to be a wolf that was the size of a bull elk, a fact which was in and of itself hard to digest mentally. The distance was great, but based on the size of the larger caribou, which it was stalking, it was twice the size of the largest male. It didn't make any sense. To me, what I was seeing was an impossibility in the natural world. A timber wolf at this size would have to be in the neighborhood of five to eight hundred pounds, 
which just can't be. As I was looking at it, I said to Dennis, it must be a bear. But even as I said it, I didn't believe my own words. The coloration wasn't right for a bear. And yet the rump sat too high with the spine to be the profile of a wolf. It was truly a puzzlement to both of us. We sat watching this beast that was obviously stalking the herd from a lower position on the ridge. It must have been about 20 minutes later, as we both sat watching intently, that this beast lifted off the ground with what we believed to be its front legs and began to make its way up the hill towards the herd, the front legs now hanging from its upright body. It appeared just as a hunter would, holding his rifle, trying to get closer without being seen. The sting was now walking hunched over like a man. It made its way into position behind a bush, where it then squatted down and was evidently watching the activity above it as we were. The herd was lumbering along and had to have consisted of over 50 animals or more when suddenly this beast made a lightning-fast movement, closing the gap between itself and the herd repositioning itself behind another grouping of bushes just below them. A couple of the caribou seemed to be momentarily startled as they began to trot, but then all things settled down again. Just moments later, this creature launched itself into an uphill diagonal run, aiming towards the middle of the herd. The animals began to run, but the creature, being much faster to our eyes, closed the gap quickly and launched its body towards a female. It swatted her to the ground with what appeared to be one blow from an extended arm, very much like a grizzly would whack down an animal from the rear in a chase. It was on top of the caribou, thrashing at its body in a violent manner with both of its now apparent arms. This creature, while straddling the caribou's body, had thrown so many blows in such a brief amount of time that it was inconceivable to our eyes how many it had actually thrown. This was followed by a long pause where it just sat atop the victim apparently resting and eyeing its prize. Some 15 minutes or so later, this wolf-man-like beast stood to its feet and hoisted the caribou over its shoulders like a woman wearing a mink stole and began to walk back down the slope angling toward the north. It was then that I said to Dennis, I have to see its face. Leveling my sight on the hill in front of it, I pulled the trigger firing a single shot, the sound of which loudly bounced back and forth between the two ridges. As soon as the blast occurred, this wolf man stopped in its tracks 
and looked directly at us. Immediately, Dennis said to me, Look at that sucker's head. He has a long snout and pointy ears. It's a damn half-human wolf. He was right. Its body was long and lanky, covered in what was gray hair or fur. And from our perspective, it had a long but tapered snout like a gray wolf with what seemed to be a variety of coloration to its face. Its ears were protruding upward from the head like two small triangles, and there was no doubt about it, and it stood there. Apparently unafraid of who we were or what we could potentially do to it for almost two minutes. The creature then began to trot away with what was some very long strides across the face of the ridge at a speed which quite simply a man could not achieve. And all of this while shouldering what must have been several hundred pounds of animal on its back. It was only a matter of a few minutes, and this wolfman had covered about a half a mile, disappearing into the timber at the base to our north. Excuse me. Dennis and I sat back to compare notes about what we had seen. When we had seen it on the caribou straddling it, the back was lean and V-shaped, appearing to be muscular. When the arms began to thrash at the fallen caribou, they were extremely long and the movements were performed at speed, which seemed like a blur to our eyes. After rising to its feet, it hoisted the body around its neck and shoulders as if it was nothing, like you or I would lift a five-pound bag of potatoes. I think the craziest damn moment of all was when we saw it raise itself up from being on all fours to two legs. It was the defining moment of the sighting. The singular movement completely blew us out of the water. We both knew at that point that we were seeing something totally unique and, quite frankly, extraordinary, if not supernatural. And yet, there it was, hunting and walking, attacking a flesh-and-blood animal for food. It was incredible. What do you think of that, Kev? Whoa. Freaking wolf. What do you think, dog man or what? It's got to be, or some type of crazy variation of maybe a, a people talk about the dire wolf, yeah, not being extinct. Yeah, but I don't think dire wolves walk around on their hind legs. Right? No, I, I got you, I got yeah. you. But what he's describing is a wolf-like creature, five to eight hundred pounds. Yeah, the scale of it is dire wolf all the way. But then when it's walking along with a caribou draped around its neck, yeah. walking upright as if it was a woman wearing a fur stole. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, good, des- good description, though, right? Oh, yeah. He's got this thing just like draped over his shoulders. I mean, if you think of you or I even taking a 200-pound deer and trying to drape it over our shoulders, uh, you'd be struggling. You're not running anywhere. Yeah. No. 
So uh, he said this thing took off after a little while. I like how they fired the gun to get it to look. Yeah. I yeah, I didn't that, know where they were going with that at first when he said, well, I got to see its face, and then he takes out his gun. I thought he was going to shoot it, but he yeah. was just getting its attention. Yeah, just trying to let the explosion draw it to turn, you know? Yeah. So he said he had a, a look at it, you know, a tapered snout, pointy ears, discoloration on the face. Right. I mean, what the heck? What else are you looking at, you know? Yep. Weird. Very bizarre, man. I mean, and, you know, it just shows you that there are things out there, uh, the likes of which we know nothing about, and that includes Bigfoot. Yeah. You know, it's just as bizarre. Uh, Dogman, the Rougarou, the Swamp Ape, uh, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, you know, Yeti, I mean, Orang Pendek. Yeah, we don't yeah, forget man. him. Yeah, man. I mean, the the list just goes on and on. Yeah, oh, that's good. Did, did we talk? Did I talk to you last week about that DNA study that was done in the two areas in uh, uh, over near Tibet? No. All right, let's just jump on that for a second. So, uh, National Geo had a show where a very renowned scientist. Uh, was purported to want to get to the bottom of some of the DNA on purported Bigfoot. Yep. So they had a couple of hair samples that came in from two areas. One one I want to say was right around, uh, I think both of them were in the Himalayas. Yep. Uh, but far apart, uh, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of miles apart. So in the end of the show... He had accomplished uh, DNA on both of these hair samples. And you know what he came up with? What? It was a cross between a polar bear and a grizzly bear, a variety or species of bear that was believed to have died off 40,000 years ago. I've actually seen that one before. I've seen that data before. Yeah, it's a subcon. It has a name, too, right? That bear. That that's gone now for many, many, many thousands of years. But now, the DNA lined up with it. Now they had some sketches early on that were drawn up from descriptions by some of these Tibetan mountain farmers. Uh some of them had seen the creature up close. And it it didn't look like a Bigfoot at all, and it didn't really look like a bear. You know what it reminded me of? Uh, it didn't look like a bear as we know a bear. It reminded me of uh, artist's renditions of the short-nosed bear uh, that was said to roam the globe a long time ago. They were like 12 feet tall. They had a very unusual tapered nose, big teeth, and according to many ravaged uh, uh, the known human population at the time and everything else on the planet. Mm. Snub-nosed bear, a short-nosed bear. Mm. If if you ever get a chance, look up short-nosed bear, uh, prehistoric uh, short-nosed bear, and uh, the pictures of this thing will just freak you out if you think of something like that 
uh, coming at the front of a cave that you were hiding in. Boy, you had all you could do to defend yourself, you know? I'm sitting here. I mean, you were talking about this short-nosed, block-headed creature. I'm looking at my Labrador Retriever thinking, like, <laughs> I'm, glad, yeah. I'm glad it's not her. She'll, <laughs> she'll kill a bag of food or a piece of toast, but nobody else. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting, you know. So uh, the one farmer said he heard, like, a scream and a whistle. And uh, when he went out in the morning, uh, two of his animals, which were a cross between a cow and something else, they had a funny name for him. Yeah. All that was left was some intestines uh, of two animals. The rest of the body, bones, and everything else was gone. Wow. So, uh, you know, again, do you look at this and say, uh, somebody slipped this guy $100 U.S. and said, this is what we want you to read on the camera? I, I don't yeah, think not so. Not likely. Not likely. I, I don't think so. I think he had a real encounter with whether it was a Yeti, whether it was this 40,000-year-old uh, believed to be extinct bear, whatever, something freaked him out and tore up two of his animals, which are very mm. valuable to a guy like that. Sure. So, uh, wow. Who knows? Who knows what these guys saw up there, you know? It just, uh, it's odd. We don't have answers to these questions, you know? Mm. But uh, that area uh, is certainly rife. I like the details, too. I like... Uh, his being near the warden carrot, uh, cabin. Uh, yeah, I don't know people listening. Uh, Hamilton Ridge and Totcher Ridge, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, if anybody knows or has more detail on this, Coetanoc Ridge, alongside of the Coetanoc River, uh, B.C., uh, where the river and Mounts Marpole and Carnarvon uh I guess, meet the river with Hamilton Ridge to our south. Hmm. So, you know, very detailed description of the location they were in uh, when they uh, came across this thing. So I was just super happy that you had to pronounce that stuff this yeah. week. Yeah. Usually that's my territory. Yeah, a like, little bit of a tongue twister there. No doubt about it. You did great, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... What else do we have, Kev? What do we got on yeah, listener mail? Yeah, we got again? some good listener mail again. So thank you, everyone, for writing in. This one comes from that neck of the wood, Brad in Vancouver. And Brad's writing in about podcast number 86 about the Vancouver Island wild men. Oh, yeah. And remember, Bill, we were talking about whether the newspaper where I quoted the article in Victoria, British Columbia, was still active. And uh, he said it is, but it's now called the Times Colonist instead of the Daily Colonist. So, ah. you know, slight modification. Yeah. And uh, Brad writes that I actually delivered that paper when I was a kid growing up in Victoria. Keep wow. up the great work. You have an awesome podcast. Wow, that's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. See that? So people are listening and people are answering questions when they're able. No, it's super cool. So that newspaper has been around for a long time. Yeah, 120 years at least. Wow. 
Boy, that's freaking awesome, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, Brad, I always encourage people, Kev, when they write in to keep your eyes and ears open in your area. Uh, talk it up. You know, you can't be afraid to talk it up. I mean, the only way we get information is if people are willing to raise the question, hey, have you ever seen a Bigfoot or you know anything about him? Yeah. I mean, that's how this happens. That's how the conversation begins, you know? Yeah. Very cool. Uh, you know, when I tell people, it sounds crazy, right? If you have an office situation, like let's just say at Christmas time, and you're doing a secret Santa or something, slip them one of my Bigfoot books. You want to talk about an open door, you know, it's it's inexpensive. You slip them the book and they're like, oh, wow, what the freak is this? You know, oh, oh. It's, it's just a, a way of sharing uh, and opening up a door to uh, a potential landslide of information. You never know what other people have no, experienced. No, of people to talk about something that happened, you know, that they saw a long time ago. But, you know, it's hard to just bring that up in conversation, right? Yeah, there's no doubt. And if nobody talks about it, they're not just, unless you're W.J. Sheehan, you're not <laughs> just to start flapping your jaws about Bigfoot to the next person you meet. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, All right, next we go to Iowa. To Daniel from Iowa. And Daniel's also writing in about episode 86 and the submerged old growth wood. So Daniel writes, hello, gentlemen, in reference to your brief discussion in episode 86 on ancient submerged wood that's being recovered. It's known as bog wood or morta. And he says, as an artisan, handcrafted tobacco pipe carver, Morta has been popular in artisan pipe carving during the last 10 years. I've made a number of Morta pipes. It's producing more of a fine dust rather than regular sawdust. It is a beautiful product that I obtained from the Ukraine and can be over a thousand years old. Incredible. Thanks so much for your podcast. You both have become friends and brothers in the faith that I have never met. <laughs> have you looked into Bigfoot sightings in Iowa? We have them. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. Now, Kev, did you get the email I sent you over today with pictures from Daniel? No, no. Uh, by the way, I was on the bottom of my electronic page. He says, and remember, when in the woods, Always carry more pipe tobacco than you think you'll need. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome, now, Daniel. Yeah, now, uh, when you get a chance, Kev, uh, Daniel, after having sent that email, uh, sent like a secondary out with pictures of some of the pipes he's made. Oh, cool. And uh, when you open that up, you'll see them. I mean, they're spectacular. I yeah, mean, by uh, the way, some of the wood here... Um, that people find in the rivers uh, is like 2,000 years old because they'll get these old-growth cypress that were, you know, logged, you know, 150 years ago, and those trees were over 1,000 years old then, you know? Yeah. So, and yeah. they, the other two names I've heard, Daniel, they're called uh, sinkers. So, you know, basically when they started to float the logs, because that's how they moved them around, Right. But they would just float them. 
down to the sawmill. Some of the logs would just sink. You know, they drop them into the river, into the lake, and they'd immediately sink. So they were called sinkers. Uh-huh. And then the other name I've heard is called deadheads, where basically like one end would start to sink and it would get caught on something on the bottom. So you would just see the head of it sticking up out, wow. of, the, out of the water. Obviously, Kev, guys that were trying to float these in the river were trying to corral them like horses, drifting them to where they wanted to go. Oh, yeah. Well, and they had these people. I forget the name. It was something like uh, log hogs or something, log pigs or something like that. (laughs) Not a very complimentary name. So someone will write in and tell me uh, the real story. But they would basically stand on these logs, Bill. And and be walking along them in the river or the lake as they flowed downstream, and yeah. be walking from log to log to try and keep them moving. Yeah, well, I wonder what happened to you if you got pinched between a couple of logs. Well, get this. You know what they would do? Apparently, when they'd get hung up, how do you think they freed them up? I I hate to think of it. What they get in the water? No, they had a bag of dynamite with them. And they'd, like, grab a stick of dynamite, they'd light it, and they'd throw it over where they thought it would free up the locks. Holy smoke. Can you imagine? Talk about hazardous duty. Oh, my goodness. I mean, if a log sunk or or stopped moving or deadheaded, like you said, you just left it there. There's nothing you could do. Oh, no, especially. Yeah, you're not going to go down and try and uh, rescue a log and give it CPR. You know. Yeah. <laughs> what a freaking dangerous operation. Oh, huh? No doubt about it. Just log crazy. Pi- log pigs. Log pigs. And then, you know, hey, that one's hung up. Let me just grab a stick here and a match. You know. Yeah, just swing it over there. Chuck it over. <laughs> Boom. I don't, th- I don't think I'll get hit with any flying wood or anything, you know. Look out. It's got a fast fuse. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right, our next letter comes in from Ken, again in British Columbia. we got a lot of folks listening out there west in Sasquatch land. Uh And the subject is Jacko. Jacko. And he writes, hi, Bill and Kevin. Enjoyed the show on the Japanese forest. Extra creepy. Can you imagine taking Aunt Ethel out there and leaving her? No. (laughs) Different mindset in Japan, I guess. Yeah. Have you heard about Jacko, a small gorilla-type beast captured by a railway crew around the 1880s near Yale, British Columbia? Have you heard of this, Bill? I haven't heard of this. I haven't. we got to look into it. Yeah. So he says, I've been there, and there are only a few houses. Very, very rural. I included a link to the article. It is believed to be a hoax, but it might be good for you for your oddities part of the show, as I think there may be some truth to it. Hmm. Can you imagine if you're on the railway company and these guys captured it? What do you feed it? It was probably screaming and creating a scene where it was kept and as well as crapping all over the place. Jeez. Also, people were coming to see it and trains and people do not mix well. I would also be worried the mother would come back looking for it. I think they got rid of it quickly and, for convenience, got rid of it back in the woods and said it never happened. Wow. Too much detail for it to be a hoax, in my opinion. 
I worked in a steel mill, and this is just the thing my coworkers would think as fun without thinking it through. Hmm. Cool story. Yeah, definitely a youth, or as you say, Kev, a youngin. <laughs> definitely a youngin uh, if it happened, right? Yeah. And how they captured it, I don't know. No details on it, but we, we could check it out, you know. Yeah, we'll check out Jacko. Jacko, the only Jacko I'm familiar with was Michael Jackson. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> All right, and now, Bill, we're going over the Atlantic to the All other right. side of the pond. Okay. So how did that BBC uh, recording go when they're talking to John and asking him if Ringo is uh, a good drummer? <laughs> Why? Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> so Anthony in the UK writes in, and he says, Hi, Kevin. Although I live in the UK, where there is no Bigfoot, your show has got me hooked. I've listened to all the back episodes, and I cannot wait for every Sunday to come around so I can snuggle up in my duvet, listening to you guys creeping me out. Your section of the oddities is very interesting, and I love all the crazy stories from around the world. He says, the other guy, only joking, Bill, you're great. His accounts of Bigfoot witnesses are fantastic and are the total creep fest. And if I saw a Sasquatch, I'd probably crap my pants. <laughs> Keep up the great shows. Toodle-doo, Anthony. <laughs> Listen, I'm a, I'm a little leery of this guy, Anthony. You know, first of all, he wouldn't crap his pants. He'd crap his duvet, whatever the heck that is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, listen, I'm a little leery of anybody that says toodle do to me. <laughs> oh, don't get your duvet all wrapped around you. You know what I mean? Always carry more duvet than you think you're going to need. <laughs> Anthony, he's just a little bitter because you read your letter to me and not to him. <laughs> we could talk about your duvet anytime. I'm not threatened by it. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I totally forgot what he was talking about. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this stuff, though, you know? Oh, it's awesome. It's neat that the people are... Uh, uh, enjoying what we're putting out there. Hey, folks, we're having a lot of fun doing this. We're getting information out. But there's no getting away from the fact that uh, we like to carry on a little bit. Yeah, and, gotta uh, have some laughs. We're in the COVID land, man. We gotta have some laughs. <laughs> exactly. Jeez. Uh, you know, like so, somebody said a while ago in an email, oh, it's COVID. I wanted to get away from it. You're talking about it. I'm like, hey, Mason. Man, we're in this all together, you know. We get it. Now we're, and we're not talking about COVID. We're talking about the fact that we're locked up. We're talking about cryptids <laughs> and other oddities. That's right. Love pass. People going missing. Come on, man. Like, get with it. <laughs> this isn't a COVID podcast. There's plenty of those. <laughs> Is there all a right, COVID folks. podcast? <laughs> folks, let's... Uh, Let's call it a wrap, Bill. Great podcast. Everybody out there, thank you for all those five-star reviews. Please keep them coming. If you haven't given us a five-star review or if you haven't given us one lately, maybe you gave us a four-star review and you're feeling regrets now that it should yeah. have been a five-star. 
Get out there right now, please, and give us a five-star review. It is really the only means that we have to attract new listeners to the podcast. And as we continue to increase our subscribership, uh, we're able to continue to increase the quality of the podcast and keep it on a regular schedule, which I know all of you are fans of that. So thank you very much. Be safe. Spring is coming. And by the way, I didn't mention earlier, if you're into the audio version of my books, you can pick them up at iTunes, Audible, and Amazon as well, volumes one through six. And by the way, if you happen to be wrapped in your duvet, walking around the foothills of Europe, remember this. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.